that's a just a sample of guided metta meditation that um, I think it's always a good thing whenever we do any kind of meditation to get ourselves into a place of stillness before we begin. And um, I just guided you through a little bit of getting in touch with your breath, getting in touch with your body, and um, uh, getting in touch with uh, uh, a bigger view of yourself rather than the limited view um, that we are our blood ancestors and our spiritual ancestors and the entire cosmos. Uh, we get stuck in a view of ourselves as being pretty tiny <clears throat> and very contained. And uh, mm, very uh, permanent. Uh, and really we're, a state, we're in a state of uh, dynamism all the time. Thich Nhat Hanh refers to us as energetic phenomena. So uh, everything's constantly changing. So to me, it's always uh, a good thing before I get into any kind of meditation to sort of remind myself of those things. And um, then we got into some metta, and metta is sending loving kindness to ourselves. Um, all of the phrases that I read you are phrases that um, we then try to expand out. Uh, rather than may I be, it's may you be, may we be. Uh, and we try to get a bigger and bigger field of uh, loving kindness, develop our capacity uh, for sending true loving kindness to the whole world eventually. You start off with yourself, and then a friend or benefactor, and then a neutral person, then a difficult person, then everybody. And it doesn't sound that hard until you try to do it. And then you find out that uh, usually we have some hard places in our hearts that uh, we find out that, hmm, mm -hmm. I can send them some loving kindness, but I don't think I'll send them wishes <coughs> for uh, total happiness. Perhaps it'd be good if they suffered a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> just a tad. Um, and when we find that we're feeling like that, then the instruction always is to go back to ourselves, that we come back and send ourselves loving kindness. And like I said at the beginning, uh, it was fascinating today talking to this friend of mine who was having difficulty with this other person. And the biggest problem was that they were both caught in their own suffering, like I said. That, um, and that's what we find. That's why that is what the uh, instruction is to come back to ourselves, because when we have those hard places and those stuck places, when we try to uh, be open-hearted with another person, we can look, we, if we look deeply, we find out that it's our own suffering that gets in the way. Um, the friend I was talking with today had tried to share this suffering with another person, and the other person only uh, took it on personally. It was something that had happened to her uh, uh, with another member of her family. And when she said, you know, I'm just feeling heartbroken because of this, 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 and this, her friend, who was feeling enough suffering herself, um, said, well, that's just what you do to me. And uh, then they sort of got into a little discussion. 
which of course is not our practice. <laughs> that uh, when we're feeling hurt, our practice is try to look at ourselves first before we say anything to the other person. But the, the obvious part of it was, not to the people that are involved, as is never the case, it's never obvious when we're in it, but when we're just looking at it, it becomes very obvious that uh, the other person wasn't able to be present for my friend's suffering because of her own suffering. She was interpreting everything as being about her personally. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, that limits our capacity for love, that that's what gets in the way. That uh, when we haven't taken good care of ourselves, we still are in a position of um, having too many needs of our own from this other person. And that's why so often love becomes like a business transaction. That love becomes like, uh, I love you as long as you do this, 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 and this. I love you as long as you're the person I want you to be. As soon as you're not the person I want you to be, then I'm having a little difficulty. And what happens is that's felt. With these two people, my friend and her friend, that was perfectly clear. As she's describing the circumstance to me, it was really clear. She wanted her friend to be different than she was. She wanted her friend to be available to hear her suffering. And her friend wanted her to be different than she was. And they both wind up feeling not understood and not loved. They both wind up feeling hurt. Does that make sense? Maybe? Perhaps? Yeah. So our job then is to do our best to pay attention, to be mindful. With mindfulness and concentration, uh, we become more and more aware of when those things are creeping up in us, those mental formations and those, uh, uh, those past hurts of ours. And so we need to go back, and this is why I, I chose to do metta for ourselves. We need to send ourselves nothing but love and compassion. You know, it's very easy for us to be critical and judging. Um, it's very easy for us not to accept ourselves. Um, this particular friend of mine, I said to her, I said, well, it seems like you need to sit with your anger. And she said, Anger? I said, yes. And she said, I don't feel like I get angry. And I said, I'm going to give you an engraved invitation to the human race. <laughs> I think you're feeling a little bit angry. And she said, you know, I've always had so much shame around anger. I never even know that I'm feeling angry. She was made to feel ashamed of being angry. And so, therefore, she was a superhuman being who never got angry. She just got hurt. She was really angry about what her friend had said to her. But this is where we get caught. And it's so sad that we keep ourselves in this state of separation. That as long as I'm feeling better than... And it, what happens is it becomes a virtue. You know, I, had, I, I could identify with her 100% because I had that same experience. That... In my household, when I was very young, my father was not very happy, and he was angry a lot of the time. So 
Nobody else in the family got angry. He sort of had that, that role all filled. And the rest of us had to figure out something else to do. And uh, so there were varying variations on a theme. But I think I mostly felt sad. I think sadness was kind of where I went. And uh, when I got to be about 30, um, I went to a gestalt therapist. I left home at like 17 and didn't look back. And I went to a gestalt therapist, and the gestalt therapist, one session I had, and uh, she kept asking me questions. And every question she asked me, I said, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. And I was amazed. I thought, I left home at 17. I thought I left him at home. And uh, then I went home from the uh, therapy session. Oh, she said, as we left, she said, well, you know, next week I think we're going to have to have an empty chair here, and you can talk to your father. You know, we'll pretend he's in the empty chair, and you talk to your father. That's what Gestalt therapists do. And I thought, that's odd, you know. Uh, <laughs> I've never talked to a chair before. Um, but that's okay. I was game for anything. And so, but I went home, and that very evening my father called. And uh, uh, he said something that just pushed my button right away. It was something that was, like, uh, critical and judging of me. And his final thing was... And so right then, I had been primed up, I guess, by all these questions. It was right up there in my consciousness. And I said, don't you dare try to make me feel good. And we had this head-on collision. And what I realized in that moment was I was not angry. I was enraged. I wasn't mildly irritated. <laughs> I wasn't any of those things. I was like over-the-top enraged. And what I found out since is when I, uh, I hear a lot from other people about the stuff they're wrestling with, and what, I, what I've heard from them and what I've observed is that there's hardly any rage that quite equals the rage we feel from childhood. That when people get sent back to touching those painful places in their childhood, there is enormous rage. When the people that we thought were supposed to love and care for us and uh, they didn't accept us, or they weren't available for us, or there wasn't the love for us, or whatever it was that wasn't available. I think that probably it has to do with the fact that we're dependent longer than any other animal. And we know it, that at some deep level, it's survival, that these, pe these people are supposed to be the ones taking care of us. And it's uh, terrifying when we feel that uh, we're not good enough or we haven't, uh, we're not performing in a way that's going to get us what we need in order to survive. I think it leaves a really deep uh, mark. And I had just seen such enormous rage in myself and other people uh, when those places get touched. So uh, for me it was really a wonderful thing because uh, I had always felt like my friend that I never got angry. And I truly didn't. I mean, there was no room to get angry. So I didn't get angry. And I developed that into a virtue in my own mind. That became a virtue. And I became superior to other people because I was not a human being like they were. I did not get angry. Okay? Well, that blew that right out of the window. <laughs> that uh, one session of Gestalt therapy did it for me. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And so my father and I had this, this discussion and it was like, um, uh, well, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't do that. And there was blaming. First we went through the blame. 
And then I said, well, you know, the bottom line, oh, and then it was, uh, well, I guess I wasn't a very good, don't you, I guess I wasn't a very good father. I said, don't you dare try to make me feel guilty. That's not going to work either. And we went through this, boom, 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 boom. And so uh, finally it wound up with, uh, we're both adults. We'll go from here as adults with, with respect, or we won't go anywhere at all. That was the, that was the fi finish of our discussion. And after that, uh, uh, our relationship has been totally different. And Richard will attest to this one, you know. It's absolutely true. My father has never uh, uh, been the same since. <laughs> it was uh, very interesting. And uh, for me, it was so freeing. It was like uh, totally humiliating to begin with, to understand that I was had something in common with 100% of human beings. And on the other hand, it's 100% freeing to recognize you have something in common with 100% of human beings that uh, the Buddha taught, not better than, not less than, not equal to. We are each other. So this is where we get caught, though, in that state of separating out, of uh, uh, ways in which we feel like we're different, or ways in which we uh, have to uh, protect and defend ourselves, really, is what it's about. So um, tonight I just wanted to... Uh, uh, offer that little guided metta. Um, I find metta, loving-kindness, metta stands for loving-kindness, that's what it translates. And loving-kindness is one of the four Brahma-viharas, and the Brahma-viharas just mean the highest abodes, the highest places to keep our minds. So rather than allow our minds to go into the places where we're ruminating and say, oh, he's horrible, terrible. Or my friend's saying, you know, she did this because of that, and she said this, and she did this, and she's mean, and she's that. Instead of allowing our minds to stay there, to bring our minds into loving kindness for ourselves, to bring ourselves back, and to be able to send ourselves, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be fearless, may I be peace, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be fearless. May I be peace. And just by going through those wishes for ourselves um, a few times, you can't, you can't entertain two thoughts simultaneously. So the more moments that you spend with your mind there, the less time you're spending ruminating about the things that drag you under, down the rabbit hole. So it's not, uh, not complicated. It's real simple. The difficult part is for us to choose because it feels so good to be self-righteous. It feels so good sometimes. You know, she's such a creep and she's that and she's this. And, you know, and so therefore I am superior in every way. And we can pick up a real head. The only difficulty in that is we're still in a state of separation, which is a hell realm. We still have the, uh, the lack of ease. Now, when you look at what the neuroscientists are finding out about how our brains work, it makes really good sense sometimes uh, what our habit energy is. I love that, that they're finding out, uh, because a lot of times we just think we're really crazy, or we're really, uh, uh, we just have horrible minds that uh, are uh, not able to be trained at all. When in fact, what they found out was that um, we're, much, we're completely sensitized to negativity that we're much more sensitive to negative things than to positive things. Uh, we've been sensitized 
that um, it takes five positive things to overcome one negative thing that our brain has been exposed to. Okay? So for all of the negative input that we have, we need to counter that with at least five positive things in order to have that neural connection of our, the positive neural connection strengthened. Okay? And they think that the reason for that is that uh, we needed to be, you know, when we were being attacked by lions and tigers, we needed to be very vigilant and we needed to be really aware of any kind of threat, any kind of anything coming at us. So we had to be uh, really hypervigilant. And uh, sad to say, that still hangs around. That it's sort of like one of those uh, vestigial appendages that uh, uh, has outlived its usefulness. But the fact is, it, to me, I love the fact that they're finding these things out because then it makes sense of things for me. It's like if I, I know how difficult it is when I'm uh, in a very negative place to shift gears. That's not easy to do. And now I know why. And that's a, that to me is a very big help uh, to just understand that's how we're wired. And therefore, I need to make a special effort. <laughs> uh, a little bit more effort is required. So uh, I just wanted to read you something that uh, Ty had written. And this was from um, Pieces Every Step, a book that he wrote. And uh, he says, Love is a mind that brings peace, joy, and happiness to another person. Compassion is a mind that removes the suffering that is present in the other. We all have the seeds of love and compassion in our minds. We can develop these fine and wonderful sources of energy. We can nurture the unconditional love that does not expect anything in return and therefore does not lead to anxiety and sorrow. And you see, that's, that, um, that's when love is not a transaction. Uh, when I expect nothing. When I can freely just love somebody and um, not expect anything. You can do a, a litmus test to see how well you're doing. This is what I always judge it by is if I do something for somebody and they respond in some way and I find myself saying, wow, they weren't very grateful, then I know it wasn't, it wasn't generous. Okay? If I, if I uh, feel a lack of response, then it shows I was expecting something. And when I uh, can see that in myself, I just can notice it and say, hmm, I've got to work on this a little bit. I need to be able to absolutely, without attachment, if I'm giving something wholeheartedly, with no expectations of anything, and that then is generosity. Uh, when I'm giving love, it needs to be uh, wholehearted without any expectations of anything. Uh, when we really love somebody, what we want is for them to be happy. So um, what happens instead is if we haven't taken good care of ourselves and we still have all of our own fears, all of our own uh, places where we're caught, then it becomes, uh-oh, all those fears get tapped into. Uh, they didn't respond the way I think they should, therefore it means da-da-da-da-da. And uh, it can push all those buttons that have been, been well-conditioned in us, uh, and we respond badly. 
That's what happened to my friend and her friend. That uh, they both really went right for the places in the other person that were very vulnerable. And they, neither of them responded very well. Uh, the essence of love and compassion is understanding. The ability to recognize the physical, material, and psychological suffering of others, to put ourselves inside the skin of the other. We go inside their body, feelings, and mental formations and witness for ourselves their suffering. Shallow observation as an outsider is not enough to see their suffering. We must become one with the object of our observation. When we are in contact with another's suffering, a feeling of compassion is born in us. Compassion means literally to suffer with. We begin by choosing as the object of our meditation someone who is undergoing physical or material suffering, someone who is weak and easily ill, poor or oppressed, and has no protection. This kind of suffering is easy for us to see. After that, we can practice being in contact with more subtle forms of suffering. Sometimes the other person does not seem to be suffering at all, but we may notice that he has sorrows which have left their marks in hidden ways. People with more than enough material comforts also suffer. We look deeply at the person who is the object of our meditation on compassion, both during sitting meditation and when we are actually in contact with him. We must allow enough time to be really in deep contact with his suffering. We continue to observe him until compassion arises and penetrates our being. Okay. This is really um, uh, taking the time to deeply understand another person. Um, and when he talks about people, um, you know, basically he's giving us exercises to do. Start with somebody that's suffering is obvious. And it's real easy to get into a place of compassion for them. And then we sort of work our way up to people that we have a hard time feeling sorry for <laughs> or having any compassion at all for. And uh, what we find out is that uh, the suffering is just as intense. It's just different. Um, I know that uh, I had grown up without, uh, in a family where we didn't have very much money. And I wound up going to a school where there were people that were, many people that were independently wealthy. And I had always thought that if people had enough money, they'd have very few problems, that that would be the, the cure for what ails you. And uh, because in our family, that was a source of a lot of difficulty. And it was such a, I mean, I'm not sure how much else I learned in school, but I, the one real, really wonderful lesson was... Uh, it doesn't make any difference. That uh, there were people, there were fabulously wealthy, who were suicidal. Uh, in the town where we lived, a couple years ago, I think in a three-month period of time, three very wealthy women jumped off three different bridges in Rhode Island and killed themselves. They left their very fancy cars parked at the top of those bridges and jumped off. You know, it's just... Uh, really important for us to see that suffering is suffering is suffering. Those things, uh, some things can make our life a little easier, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't solve this, the problem of our suffering. So um, that's what Ty is trying to tell us there, is how to, uh, it's almost like doing calisthenics. 
Uh, you start with the real simple things. You start with a real easy person uh, to have compassion for. And what you'll find out very frequently, if you do metta as a serious practice, is that um, a lot of times you're the hardest person to have compassion for. Um, at the retreat at Stonehill, I think it was, it was. No, no, it was the retreat at Blue Cliff last fall. And uh, there was a woman there who said to Ty, she asked a question of Ty. And uh, she said, you know, all of my friends will tell you that I'm the most compassionate person in the world. That I try my best to help people and all my friends think you know, I'm the heart of compassion. Why is it that I can have compassion for everybody in the world but I can have not have any for myself? Why is it that I'm uh, judging and critical and hard on myself all the time? And uh, she was crying by the time she got done even asking the question. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, the Buddha has offered you a way out. He said, uh, when you really look deeply, you're made up of all non-self elements. You're made up of just what I tried to talk you through in the guided meditation. You're made up of the sun and the air and the rain and the earth. You're made up of every one of us in this room. So here he's telling her, you're made up of Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, he said, I'm alive in you. All of these people are alive in you. Your parents, everybody's alive in you. He said, you're made up of non all non-self elements. He said, for you to hate yourself is to hate the mountains. For you to hate yourself is to hate the clouds. He said, there's no separate self to hate. There's nobody to hate. So this is what we really need to work on, is developing that deep understanding of who we really are. And when we can get there, then it becomes a whole lot easier. When I uh, got the diagnosis of breast cancer, almost immediately I felt complete connection to one in eight women in this country. Just like that. Total interbeing. I thought, I can't believe one in eight people go through this. Nothing but compassion. So when we, this is, this is the exercise he's giving us is when we can try our very best. It's like uh, Native Americans will say, try to walk a mile in the other person's moccasins. Um, that's what it's about. As soon as we can do that, the kaleidoscope shifts 180 degrees. It's amazing how our views of things change. I've been feeling very excited lately because of this thing that's happening in the Gulf. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. Today I listened to the news and there were like four different people that they interviewed from uh, Louisiana and Florida and stuff about the oil washing in. And every single person said, look at this, look at this. BP doesn't have enough money to fix this. There isn't, money won't fix this. Money is not going to do any good. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> There's a Native American uh, saying that I I'll, I'll, I don't remember it exactly, but it goes something like uh, uh, until uh, something like uh, 
a man will wake up when he realizes that uh, he cannot eat money. And I think we're getting there. I think we're close. So this is good. But it's interesting when we hit these insights how the kaleidoscope can shift. And the same is true with our individuals. The same is true uh, right now. You can watch what's happening in the Middle East. That's a macrocosm of what goes on in each one of us. That's just the macrocosm. You see? If I haven't transformed my own suffering, somebody says or does something to me to hurt me, I get upset, I want to, I want to hurt them. I want them to feel my pain. I'll do something to them, say something nasty, I hurt them. They then put up their protections and defenses, and they want really badly for me to suffer. And they'll do something to me. And we just escalate. This is normal. This is really how, we, uh, how we're wired. Unless we use mindfulness and concentration to transform those things in ourselves. Because all we have to do, if we're using mindfulness and concentration, uh, mindfulness is like, um, it's an energy. We always talk about the energy of mindfulness. And it's almost like you hold the, uh, the difficulty and you focus the energy of mindfulness on it. And it's almost like an alchemical reaction that happens. Because we can do this with the Middle East. All we have to do is focus our mindfulness on the difficulty there. And what you can see, if you really look deeply, is the fact that there's no end. It's absolutely not possible. It's exactly what the Buddha taught. He said, hatred will never be, be uh, cured by hatred alone. Hatred will be cured by love alone. That's it. And this was 2,600 years ago. We're still trying to get it. But when we're in it, it's easy for us to sit back and, and zoom out and look at the big picture and say, if we just use our concentration and mindfulness, we can see that simply by hurting another country, that per those people are going to just develop more hatred and anger and violence in them. We're watering the seeds. We're strengthening their seeds. They're going to come back at us, so watering our seeds of hatred, anger, and violence, etc., 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 etc. It's perfectly obvious that it won't work. But when we're in it, we say, "Yes, but you don't understand. I have to defend myself. I have to. I'm afraid of this person." And you can say, "Yes, I understand. You're afraid of that person, but..." If by being afraid of a person, I wind up inflicting harm that only waters their seeds of hatred, anger, and violence, there's no end. There's no end to it. You can't kill enough people. It doesn't work. So uh, this is why it's so wonderful when we can use the practice to transform ourselves. And this is what Thich Nhat Hanh, Thich Nhat Hanh was formed by the war, if you get this magazine, it's lovely. They have a biography of him that's uh, very powerful. I sent a little excerpt of it on an email. But when you read about what he's gone through in his lifetime and uh, how he was formed by the war and what he has seen in having experienced what he did, he spent 60 years of his life looking deeply at the causes of war. And what he saw was exactly what I'm sharing with you, that the only way out is to transform ourselves. 
We create, our consciousness is creating the collective. Every one of us is responsible for the collective. And so each one of us, by what we're doing with our own consciousness, creates a hell realm or a heaven. And we can think, well, it doesn't make any difference because these people have more money and they have more power and they've got more this and they've got more that. It's the energy of the collective that will determine the outcome. So I think that's plenty for one evening. But uh, may you have nothing but loving kindness for yourself. The Buddha was a human being. Thich Nhat Hanh is a human being. Um, they're inspirations to us because they were human beings, that they can be free, that we can be free. They didn't just kind of land here from outer space. Um, you know, they really uh, spent a lifetime practicing and uh, wound up freeing themselves up so they could experience uh, love, compassion, and joy. That's what we're up to. We don't get stuck in the first of the Four Noble Truths, which is suffering. He says, we go to the fourth, which is the end of suffering. And uh, the way out. So, good luck on your journey out. We'll sound the bell three times. And gratitude for being able to be here together tonight and for the practices that help us to transform our suffering into joy. May our practice benefit all beings. and remember that the Buddha said you can search the entire world over and you will never find another person more deserving of your compassion than you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat>